You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. Amen. As always, it's a blessing to be here with the saints this morning to get into the Word of God. This is a, a bittersweet time for me as we're concluding our, our sermon series, excuse me, on the Sermon on the Mount, as we look into the way of Jesus as Christ is calling us to live appropriately as citizens in his kingdom. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I go by Ant. I get the privilege of serving here as pastor at Midtown Two Notch. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 7. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be getting it started in verse 13. Again, Matthew 7, we'll be starting in verse 13 today. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through three specific points that Jesus has for us today. Specifically, he is warning us about how we should live. Now, he's been talking about the way we live throughout the Sermon on the Mount, so that's not anything different, but specifically today, He's not talking about, he's not introducing a new idea. He's not introducing a new concept as he generally does throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He talks on this topic, this topic, this posture we should have towards God, this way that we should live. Today, as he concludes it, he's not doing that. He's pressing us on the question of, are we looking to build our lives on his words or not? He's given us topic after topic. We've been in this sermon series for 14 or 15 weeks as Jesus is instructing us on what it looks like to live as one of his followers. And today he's asking us, so are you choosing my way or not? We entitled this the the way of Jesus. And so Jesus is pressing us right now. Are you trying to follow me or are you trying to live for yourself? These words that I have communicated to you, are you trying to build your life on my words or are you not? He's going to give us three specific warnings as we work our way through the passage. The first one and the last one are more encouragements as he's telling us how we should live or encouraging us to choose him, to choose his way. And the second point is more so something he's warning us against that would keep us from following his way. Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus writes, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The first thing that Jesus warns us about is the paths we take. Jesus warns us about the paths we take. Again, we've entitled this sermon series, The Way of Jesus. He's instructing us on how to follow him, how to live in his way. And so he warns us on the paths that we take. Now, there's three different elements to the three different paths or to the two paths that he has for us that we have to choose from. There's the entry point. There's also the, the, the path itself. You might call it the journey. And there's the destination. And he makes distinctions between the entry point, between the path, and between the destination of the two different ways that we might choose to walk. He starts off by giving us instruction or letting us know that the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. He's warning us about fool's gold. He's warning us that there is a way of life that it's like a a hook with bait on it. 
It looks good. It, look, it looks tempting. It looks like the way that you should choose, but it actually leads you to destruction. Jesus is warning us here. He's already told us and instructed us on many ways that we should live. And now he's saying, hey, you have to choose one of these two ways. And one way is fool's gold. The, the, the gate to get into it is, is wide. At that time in the cities, particularly in, in Jerusalem, the outside of the city was marked by walls and gates. And the gates led you in, into different parts of the city. So they would have been very familiar. And he's saying, hey, there's a very, there's a very wide gate that many are entering through. He says the, the path of that gate is very easy. It's one where you get to just be you. You get to just do whatever you want to do and consider it to be okay. You don't have to try to deny temporary pleasures for sustaining joy in the Lord. It's an easy path. You get to choose. You get to choose who you want to listen to. You're not committed to following them for any particular amount of time. You basically get to be your own boss. This is the easy path. Very tempting. Jesus warns us, it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction in the end. Yes, you might be able to enjoy some fleeting pleasure. Yes, you might be able to pursue whatever desire you have in the moment. But at the end of it, Jesus says, is destruction. He says, there are many who enter by this narrow, by this wide gate, excuse me. Then he goes on to say, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That the way that actually leads to true life, the way that actually leads to the, the abundance of life, eternal life that Jesus is coming to offer through his kingdom that he's ushering in, the gate to get into it is narrow. Ultimately, biblically speaking, we know Jesus is saying there's only one way to get into it. There's only one way to actually lead, that actually leads to foundation. There's actually one gate that gets into it, and that is Jesus himself. Now, many people, because of this, they think, well, Christianity is too exclusive, right? That's too exclusive to say that Jesus is the actually, actually the only way to find salvation. That's far too exclusive. And for many of us, we have a, that puts a bad taste in our mouth. But I think we have to understand that salvation in God is salvation from a problem. Let me, let me try to explain. Biblically speaking, our world is messed up and corrupted because of sin. Sin is the problem. We have suffering because of sin. We have death because of sin. Our world is increasingly corrupt because of sin. We have relational problems because of sin. All of the problems in the earth are a result of sin. So when you talk about and answer the question, is it too exclusive for Jesus to be the only way? What you should be asking is, how do we get out of this problem of sin? How do we get out from under this problem of sin? And whoever will lead us and whoever's way and whoever's path leads us out of this problem of sin, whoever can actually defeat your biggest problem is who you need to be following. The one who actually can defeat sin, the one who actually can defeat death is who we need to be following. And Jesus comes from heaven, incarnate, puts on flesh, lives among us completely above sin. Never sin. Sin has this world shackled. Sin has this world enslaved. Corruption is spreading everywhere. Death is growing or spreading to everyone and everything in this earth. And Jesus comes in and never sins. Lives in perfect righteousness. Sin has no authority over him. It doesn't rule him. He's not enslaved to sin at all. Corruption can't do anything with him. The darkness cannot overcome him. He lives in perfect 
righteousness. Not only that, he goes on to die for the sins of the world, but the story doesn't end there. He gets up out of the grave. So he comes in and lives above sin, dies in place for our sin, and then is raised from the grave. So I have victory over death itself. You can say maybe that Christianity feels too exclusive to me, but what we should be after is who can get us out of this problem? Who can save us from what is troubling us? Who can save us from the problems of this world more than anyone else? And it is only the one who died and was raised from the grave and lived a life above sin. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way. There's actually historical evidence and we have a historical reason to believe that he did get out of the grave. And if that sounds like news to you, I want to refer you to our sermon series that we did called Why I'm a Christian. The second sermon is just about Jesus. And over and over again, I try to plead even historically that we have reason to believe there is documented evidence of Jesus actually being alive after he died. You can say Christianity feels too exclusive. I will say we found the one who beat it. We found the one who the darkness couldn't do anything with. We found the one who lived above sin. We found the one who was raised from the dead. And he said, if you want to have eternal life, follow me. I will show you the way to eternal life if you follow me. The gate is narrow, Jesus says. He says, and the way is hard that leads to life. He says the way is hard. It's a way of self-denial. It's a way of trusting God that he is wiser than you are, that he is actually in control. It's a way that says, Jesus, many of the things that you have been teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount, they are difficult. I don't want to live that way, but because you are the one that shows the path to eternal life, because you are where salvation is found, I trust you, I follow you. He says the way is hard. It is the way of righteousness, not as we define it, but as he defines it. It's a way that doesn't allow us to just make our own decisions autonomously. It's a way that doesn't allow us to only focus primarily on ourselves and what we want and what we desire. It's a way that doesn't allow us to just believe whatever we want to believe or carve out our own path or be the person that we think that we want to be. It doesn't allow us to try to determine on our own what is right or what is wrong. It is a way that demands that you follow Jesus and trust him even when you don't understand. It is a way that demands that we sacrifice what we might think is best because we trust that what he says is best is actually what is best. It is a hard way, but it is the way of Jesus. It's the way that Jesus took. Our God coming and abandoning heaven abandoning the comforts and the riches of heaven to come be born in a manger. And as he's on this mission to, to rescue God's creation and reconcile it all, reconcile all things back to him, he becomes a refugee and has to flee to Egypt because King Herod hears that there is a king that is born, and so he has to flee. He and his family have to flee. This is the hard way that Jesus chose. And then after living a life above sin, a perfectly righteous life, he begins his preaching ministry, somewhere around 30, most likely. And because of his preaching, the religious leaders of his day try to kill him. They don't just try to kill him. They end up executing their plan extremely well. He was publicly shamed and mocked. He suffers incredible trauma in his beatings and his floggings. 
as he is abused, as he suffers before, he's, before he is killed, then he is crucified and condemned for sins he did not commit. This is the one that says, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying the way is hard that leads to life, but it is the way of our Savior. It is the way of our King. It is the way of Jesus. He walked it first, and now he invites us to follow him on his way. But the good news is we don't just enter through him as, his, as the gate. We don't just follow him through the hard way, but we also enjoy his destination as well. Because just as he carried his cross, just as he suffered in this life, he was raised from the grave to life eternal. And now he lives and abides in paradise where we all await to go. See, there's suffering. There's a difficulty. There's a a hardness in his way. Oh, but there is joy eternal in his destination. That he doesn't just call us to bear his cross. He calls us to share in his crown on the other side as well. He doesn't just call us to pursue through the difficulty. He calls us to enjoy eternal peace and comfort in him at the end of it all. Everything that our God calls you to sacrifice, he always blesses you with infinitely more in the end. You never lose out, actually. You always gain more than you lose. I once heard a pastor, I saw a pastor write, it was his signature on an email. See if I can say this correctly. He said, give him all that he asks and receive all that he offers. May we not be those that are distracted by the difficulty of the way to the point that we forget the eternal joy that is ahead of us. You will lose motivation to continue to walk the hard way. You will lose motivation to continue to sacrifice if you do not remember the joy that is before you. You will lose motivation to give him all that he asks if you don't remember and meditate on all that he offers. Every decision you make with your time is always, you're always analyzing what is the reward? What is the payoff? What is the return on this investment? Every decision you make is a sacrifice because you could always be doing something else. You're always sacrificing something for something else. So as believers and really everyone, we choose based on what we feel like gives us the best return on our investment. And so if you do not remember all that he offers, you will struggle mightily to give him all that he asks. Jesus says, hard is the path that leads to life, eternal, abundant life in him, that we get to enjoy presence with our God in this life or enjoy his presence in our lives in this life. And we will enjoy his his eternal joy forever. That's the first thing that Jesus warns us about. The second thing he warns us about is the voices that we listen to. The voices that we listen to. We'll start reading verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That term false prophet would have meant a lot to the people of God at that time. There were many prophets in the Old Testament scripture. Some of them were, were, were false prophets. They, they commu- a prophet is someone who communicates on behalf of God or communicates God's words. I think many times we think a prophet is someone who tells the future. And, and, and in the Old Testament, that did happen a lot. But more specifically, a prophet is someone who gives you the words of God, someone who God speaks through. He says, beware 
of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware of false prophets that seem really nice. Beware of false prophets that don't seem harmless at all, but actually they cause a lot of harm to the people of God. Let's keep reading. We'll start back over verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. He's saying not everyone that says they're speaking on my behalf is actually speaking on my behalf. Not everyone that says they're calling you to follow the way of Jesus is actually calling to follow you the way of Jesus. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian, claims to be speaking on behalf of God is actually doing so. And he says, you will know them by their fruit. So, so remember the picture now. So he starts with, they're wolves, and, and, but they look like sheep, right? They're ravenous wolves in sheep clothing. So you can't just go by the first appearance of what you see when you look at them. You might not be able to go by what they say when you first listen to them and be able to tell that they are false teachers. Jesus is warning us against, I believe, those who will claim to be his, but actually aren't leading us down the path that Jesus calls us to follow. There are many who will claim to be followers of Jesus, but what they preach doesn't actually call you to follow the hard path, but calls you to follow the easy path. There are many who claim to be followers of Jesus that really want to, maybe you feel inspired when you listen to them. Maybe you feel good when you listen to them. Maybe all, but all you hear is about how much God will bless you, but not a call away from sin. But not a call away from the wide, easy path. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. I believe he's referring to in their teaching and in their lives. So Jesus has given us, okay, well, how, how do we try to identify that? You're saying they're wolves, but they look like sheep. And he's saying, look at the fruit that they produce. Does their life look like they don't take the commands of Jesus very seriously? Does their life look like they are walking on the hard path or the easy path? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit of God being produced in them? Do they model the love of Christ, even loving those that don't love them? Do they follow the way of Jesus? Does that mark their lives? Does their teaching call you to walk on the hard path? Does their teaching make you feel like you can follow Jesus while still staying on the easy path? That's a big one. Does their teaching come across as if it's okay with Jesus if you do not follow the hard path? Maybe does their teaching of the grace and forgiveness of God make you feel like you have a license to sin now? Do they preach the grace and forgiveness of God as a license to sin, or do they preach it as the freeing power of God to set you free from slavery and bondage to sin? Those are two very different things. Jesus says that there are many, they will seem like sheep, but they're actually wolves. They will seem kind to you. They will seem nice to you, but they are harming you. He says, beware of false prophets. That's the command there. 
Everything else is a description. He says, beware. Be on your guard against them. Be careful. Look out for them. I'll be honest with you. I think for a lot of us, we don't obey this command of Jesus to beware of false prophets because we don't know what his word says. Because we don't meditate on the word of God. Because we do not study the word of God. Because we do not care to educate ourselves more and more on what God's word is saying. So we're not able to beware because we can't tell if what people are actually saying is from the word of God or if it's from somewhere else. And he's saying, beware of false prophets. We must know his word. We must be growing as students of his word. He goes on further to make the point that these false prophets are not from him and to talk about the judgment that they will receive. Let's keep going, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Right, this is what cues me in on. He's still talking about those false prophets here. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying, just because someone says they follow me doesn't mean that they follow me. That there's a distinction between saying that Jesus is Lord and actually walking on the hard path. Don't believe that someone's preaching God's word just because they stand up in a pulpit on a Sunday morning. Even if they have, even if they have a whole healing crusade, even if they have a huge following and you feel good and inspired when you hear them. I remember talking to a sister a few years ago. She had been around our church a bit and she also had been around a couple other churches. I think she was trying to figure out which one she fit best, I guess. I was sitting down with her. She was making some decisions about her life going forward. She wanted to talk. So we talked a little bit. And as she started talking about her choices with, you know, what church she was going to be in, she said, and one of the things that the Holy Spirit has been revealing to me more and more now is that I go to this church. He said, when I come to Midtown Tuna, she said, I feel like I'm going to hear God's word preached. I'm going to be challenged and I'm going to be pointed to Jesus. And I'm like, that's a pretty good summary of what I go for every, every time. I appreciate that. And then she said, and I'll be honest with you. I go to this other church because they make me feel good. She said, I go to this other church because I like the way I feel when I'm there. I like the way I feel when I am leaving. I like what they're going to tell me about the success that God is going to give me in all of my endeavors. And I want to say, you need to beware of false prophets. You need to beware because you're subjecting yourself to a teaching that by your own standards, by your own understanding is not biblical. Sometimes I wonder how many, of the, how many of us that's true for. This is one of those things, honestly, and this, this whole passage in general in the Bible, as Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, is a concept that greatly troubles me. Great, I, I don't know if there's anything regarding following Jesus regarding uh, how we function as a church, regarding our people, regarding people who are watching us online, that troubles me more than the idea that maybe, just maybe we've tricked ourselves into thinking that we're actually following Jesus. What we're actually trying to do is pull together the easiness of the wide path and a little bit of sprinkling in of Jesus at the same time and just trying to have this big happy hug where I get the best of both worlds, where I get the best of both paths, where I get Jesus 
who is the narrow gate, and I get the wide and the easy path that I've always desired. It's one of the things that troubles me more than anything else, that when Jesus is saying here, hey, there's two paths, he's saying, hey, you can't do both of them. You are on one of them. You cannot do both. And he's saying the reward is great for the hard path. The reward is great, but you cannot choose both. Some of us, many of us, I believe, don't have a healthy fear of false prophets that would try to communicate to us that we can do both. I believe that we care more about being inspired and hearing a message that makes us feel good oftentimes. We should be, you should be careful who you give your ear to. You should be very careful. The false prophets who are ultimately not in the kingdom of heaven and thus are in the kingdom of darkness are following along in the path and in the way of Satan, who deceives by giving a little bit of truth in with every lie. That's what every good liar does, right? Always gives you some amount of truth, but just distorts something. Oftentimes something that we prefer over the truth, if we're honest. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says. Beware who you give your ear to. I want to move on to my third and final point. I won't be before you long today. Jesus warns us about the foundations we build our lives on. He warns us about the foundations we build our lives on. Let's begin in verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Right, so that's the first house. That's the first picture. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You can build your life on what Jesus has taught us on the last 14 to 15 weeks or you can choose not to. Question for you, when you hear the word of God preached, whether it's been this specific sermon series as we've been talking specifically about the way of Jesus or any amount of sermon or maybe in your time when you're reading the Bible, you, there's a way to read and understand the Bible where you say, okay, I've done my Christian thing for now. I came to the worship service. I studied the Bible. That's what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm going to actually go back to living the way that I've always lived my life because I prefer that and that suits me better. That's one way to approach the word of God. Another way is to say, okay, I want to build my life on this. I am building my life on what this says, on Jesus' words. And Jesus is saying to us that there are some who will build their lives on his word. That it will be the foundation, that the things that he's taught, this new way of living, this this new life, there will be some who see that and say, yes, I want to build my life on that. It's going to be hard. God, I need your strength all the way through it. I'm going to rely on you and I trust and believe in you wholeheartedly that I will find life abundantly in you. And Jesus says that there are some who will not, who will hear it and say, I don't want that. Maybe I'll keep listening to it. Maybe I'll keep hearing it, but I don't want to change my life to fit what God is calling us to. There are some who listen to Jesus' words and let them go in one ear and out the other. And in this particular passage, when Jesus refers to his words or these words, 
He says, verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, I believe he's talking specifically about what we've been going through the last 14 or 15 weeks. These words that he's already been sharing. And he's saying that those that do them will find eternal life. Or maybe in this uh, picture specifically, those who do not build their lives on them will, will face and meet destruction. He wants us to be able to look at, as we went through in this sermon, this sermon series, the Beatitudes, and realize that actually God defines what gives us happiness and what does not, that we actually don't know more about what it looks like to pursue happiness than God does. He wants us to build our lives around the fact that we are the salt of the earth and that we are the light of the world communally, that we might leverage our lives together towards following Jesus on his mission that we would sacrifice that others might come to know him, that this earth would look more and more like heaven every single day. He calls us to build our lives around what he said earlier in chapter five, that we would take his law seriously, that Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, that we will build our lives upon him, understanding that we take his commands, his instructions seriously. We build our lives around the fact that we do not let anger rule us. That we actually pursue reconciliation with those in our lives that, that have offended us. That we do not continue to just separate ourselves from anyone and refuse to love anyone that has hurt us. We build our lives on the truth that our God calls us away from adultery, even adultery of the heart as Jesus worded it. Building our lives on the word of Jesus means that, Jesus, you govern even my sex life. You govern the entirety of my life, and I fight against sin in the way that you call me to. And I know Jesus was using hyperbole here to, to talk to us about fighting against our sin and killing our sin. But he's saying, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We build our lives around and on the foundation of the word of God that calls us to put our sin to death. We build our lives around generosity, that we trust that our treasure is truly in heaven, that we don't let the anxieties and the cares of this world cause us to be extremely stingy with our money, but, but instead we give liberally, we give freely to the mission of God because our treasure is in heaven and we store up treasure there. Why? Because we build our lives on him. He's saying there are two paths. He's saying there are two types of voices that we can listen to. And he's saying there's two types of foundations that we build our lives on. Either we trust him or we do not. The hard way, obviously, is not easy. It's the way of Jesus as we see in his life. And as I said earlier, following the way of Jesus means we walk the hard path like he did, but it also means we enjoy the resurrection and the eternal life that he enjoys as well. And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but, but, but for myself, it's just always most helpful when I remember, what am I gaining? What am I gaining? What am I gaining by following Jesus? And this is how the Apostle Paul puts it. For all who struggle with staying on the hard path, for all who struggle with the idea that I need to continue to live a life of sacrifice as I follow Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us or revealed to us. Paul is a man who walked the hard path. 
Paul is a man who suffered beatings, who, who gave up his entire way of life for the kingdom of God, for the edification of the kingdom of God. He was beat within an inch of his life multiple times, and he continued on with the mission. And as he's looking back and considering his life, he's saying, I'm considering that everything that I've suffered, that everything that I've sacrificed, that everything that I have let go of is not worth even comparing to the glory that I will see when I go to be with my Savior. What is he saying? He's saying the hard path is worth it for the life that's at the end of it. He's saying the reward is greater than the sacrifice. He's saying that what we receive from Christ is infinitely greater than anything we ever sacrifice and give up in our pursuit of Christ and as we seek to follow him. He's saying that it is my conclusion that all the sufferings that I have been through, a man who would eventually be martyred for his faith, the man who said to live is Christ but to die is gain. He's saying even if I suffer the worst, the worst that this world has to offer, and I'm murdered, I actually gain because I get Christ. That at the end of it all, we get him and his infinite love and his infinite joy and his infinite grace and his infinite mercy, the hard path. It is difficult. It is trying. You're not going to be able to do it alone. You need to rely on the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to be invested in the biblical community that we can encourage each other to continue to walk this path, and it will always be worth it. Our king has come to usher in his kingdom. He's called us to join him in this kingdom and follow in his way as his citizens. And he's coming back to fully and finally establish his kingdom on the earth forever where eternal joy awaits. And in the meantime, on the hard path, let us continue to walk in his way, knowing that it is leading us to life, to life eternal. Family, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for sending your son to walk the path to show us how we should live, to show us how we should walk. Thank you for showing us not just the difficulty of it, but the eternal life on the other side of it. And even the gift of knowing you and experiencing true life and eternal life now and knowing you and being yours and you being ours. Thank you for not just calling us to a life of sacrifice where there's no reward at the end of it. Thank you for not just telling us to follow you because it's what we're supposed to do without giving us anything to hope for. But thank you that we know with the assurance of our faith that we will be with you forever. Our king, the one who has loved us through all of our sins, all of our faults, the one who sees everything and loves us infinitely. Father, will you help us to build our lives on your foundation, the foundation of your word in general, in particular, the, the foundation of the words of, of Jesus as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. Will you, through the power of your spirit, help us to live in that, to embrace the hard way? Will you silence the lies of the enemy in, a, in our mind that will tell us that it's actually better if we, if we try to choose the, the easy way, that that's actually what we should follow? Will you help us to identify all of the lies that we have been tempted to believe? Will you use us as a community of believers to remind each other of the truth that the hard way is the way that leads to eternal life, that leads to ultimate joy in you? Help us to build our lives on your foundation, the foundation of your word. And Father, we ask all this in Christ's name.